Blog Talk Radio. There'll be spectacle, there'll be fantasy, there'll be daring do and stuff like you would never see. Hey, a movie! Yeah, we're gonna be a movie! Starring everybody and me! There'll be heroes bold, there'll be comedy, and a lot of fuss that ends for us real happily. Hey, a movie! We can watch it all develop! Starring everybody and me! We'll take the world! Set it on its ear. Come on, join in. We're going to start right here. And we are going to start right here. Hello. Welcome to 411's new, newest podcast, the 411 Mania Summer Blockbuster Series Movie Review. I am your host, the mandated reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified, Mr. Mark Rattledge. And joining me uh, tonight to review, we're going to be doing this every once in a while, uh, starting with the very first movie of the Summer Blockbuster Series, Iron Man 3, and here to help me discuss Iron Man 3, perennial 411 reviewer uh, extraordinaire, the 401 jack-of-all-trades, Mr. Jeff Harris. How you doing, Jeff? Good evening, Mark. Good evening, everybody. Good afternoon, Los Angeles. And as the Muppets say, don't forget to watch your movie. Don't forget to watch your show. We're here That's to right. have a good time. That's right. Waka, waka, waka. All right. Um, Jeff did an excellent review of Iron Man 3, the latest installment in the uh, connected Marvel Universe and the uh, ostensibly the end of the Iron Man trilogy. And <clears throat> this is going to act as a supplement. These podcasts that we're going to do over the course of the summer, when both Jeff and I actually make it to the movies to see one of the blockbusters, these will, uh, these will act as a supplement to the online review, which you can read over at 401mania.com in the movie, in the movie zone. So, um, right from the start, I don't want to I, I don't want to talk necessarily about the stuff that Jeff covered in the review. And let me say right now, for those of you who haven't seen the movie yet, this podcast will include spoilers. We will be talking. Spoiler about, alert! Yes, spoiler alert. We will be talking about what actually happens in the movie, including the big plot twist and all of that. So, if you don't want to know what happens, pause this, go see the movie, come back. All right. Jeff, I want to talk about the elephant. That was your in the spoiler room. warning. So, folks, <laughs> if you're if you're still listening now, and you don't want to get spoiled. It's your fault, okay? And, and I don't want to hear any complaining on Facebook. Exactly, or in the comment section. All right, Jeff, let's let's get right into. Well, first, let me ask you this: Did you like hey. the movie? Did Did you actually sit down and just as a fan of Marvel movies and summer blockbuster movies in general, did you did were you entertained for two plus hours? I definitely was. Yes, I was entertained. I had a good time. So did I. Um, I've seen people complaining about the movie. It seems to be a fair split between people who thought the movie was utter garbage, uh, which I don't. I I happen to know one of those people who thought it was utter garbage. And uh, for the benefit of this podcast, he shall remain nameless. But um, I don't understand why people have such a problem with this movie. And I guess we can talk a little bit about that. But I do want to get to the big elephant in the room because I know you you did discuss this and I want to get your your thoughts on it. So, as we know, if you've seen the movie, you're set up to think that the big villain in this thing is the Mandarin and it turns out that the big villain in this thing is not the Mandarin, he is a false face for the terrorist organization AIM, which was also a fairly big entity in the Marvel universe of comics. Um and it turns out that the guy running AIM who is uh, Adrian Killian 
is we could probably I mean just before we really get into this, Mark, we could probably yeah. spend like twenty podcasts in three hours talking about all the backstory. I mean, we're talking. Yeah. We have fifty years of because we have fifty years of backstory to go on. Right. No, and I, I, I obviously don't want to do that. I don't want to bog this down. <laughs> but uh, you're set up to think that it's Mandarin. It ends up being the guy who's running AIM, and this annoyed the living shit out of people, <laughs> as near as I can tell. If there's one thing that people complained about with this movie was that Mandarin ended up not being the Mandarin, but ended up being Shecky the Clown. So what did you think about that, Jeff? I mean, I, we, we read your yeah. review. Just expand upon that. Well, it's a little more complicated than that, Mark. Um, if you go by uh, the recent statements by the writer, uh, the co-writer and the director, Shane Black, uh, the Mandarin is actually in the movie. The Mandarin is uh, Aldrich Killian, as played by Guy Pierce. That, according to Shane Black, that was the Mandarin. That was their interpretation of the Mandarin. Um, and there's actually a very good story on Entertainment Weekly um, that examines the whole genesis of how they went this way. For the last several years, they've been trying to incorporate the Mandarin in this movie. But, of course, that's sort of a whole can of worm in itself. When the Mandarin was first created in the 1960s, I mean, it was the 1960s. It was a different time. I'm not saying that makes it right, but the Mandarin was essentially a yellow apparel Asian stereotype. He was a he was a Chinese villain. I mean, for some Asian people, even the term Mandarin itself has a bit of a, a racial connotation. Um, since that time, of course, the Mandarin, the character, he has been updated. He has been modernized. He's still Asian, but he's more of a you know, he's been made into more of an evolved 21st century character. But comics audiences, the people who read comics, and the amount of people who read comics now is a drop in the bucket compared to what is needed to make a movie like this successful. And these movies are big events, you know, not just in the U.S. anymore, all over the world. Disney, they wanted Chinese money for the movie. They had a they made this movie a Chinese co-production with DMG Entertainment. China has very strict laws about how certain things are represented in their entertainment. Um, and I guess the conclusion was the way the Mandarin is in the comics, even as he's developed over time, does not work in a movie like this today. They, uh, they put the Mandarin in early drafts of uh, the first Iron Man movie. Uh, instead, he was taken out. They made uh, Obadiah Stane, Jeff Bridges, the actual villain, and they had a reference to a Ten Rings or organization. You know, the Ten Rings, of course, represents the Ten Rings of the Mandarin. That motif was back in this movie. Um, so we always had this expectation that we would see the Mandarin at some point. But then Shane Black comes out at, at, a little while ago at a comic convention. He says, yeah, I don't like the Mandarin, he's a racist stereotype. Then he comes to Comic-Con, we see Ben Kingsley as the Mandarin. Okay, they're kind of reinventing the Mandarin. You know, it, it, it makes sense. A lot of directors, they kind of reinvent these characters for the movies. Chris Nolan did it, you know, with the Joker, with Raz al, Raz, excuse me, Raz al Ghul, not Raz al Ghul. Uh, Bane. So it kind of makes sense. This is their, this is their idea of updating the Mandarin. So we're kind of getting into this idea, okay, Ben Kingsley, he's, a, he's, a, he's an Oscar-winning actor. 
he's a Shakespearean actor. He's giving a, a new take on the Mandarin that's kind of uses the iconography of the character in the comics, but also kind of plays off of uh, Osama bin Laden and sort of what's going on with the war on terror today. And that was still in play in the movie. And I'm kind of getting off track here, but Shane Black essentially trolled us. The way it was executed in the movie. <laughs> what does it have to be a troll? What, no, no, let, let me just let me finish my thought here. Here's sure. here's my take on it. He tr- we got trolled. He played. We got played. However you want to say it. The twist was well executed. It was funny. The way Ben Kingsley played it was entertaining and funny. But still, you're kind of left with, well, that's it. And even. Even going along with Shane Black's explanation of Aldrich Killian is the Mandarin, I'm kind of like, you know, ultimately I came to this conclusion. These Iron Man movies have never really had a very strong villain. And to that, I say you have the Mandarin, who has always been Iron Man's sort of, he's, he's Iron Man's Lex Luthor, his Joker, what have you. That's what he's always been. But even saying that, Iron Man's always had sort of a weak group of uh, rogues gallery. Uh, rogues gallery refers to like a specific, like a superhero's character, his set of villains that menaces him in the comics. So I think just looking at it that way, these movies are, are more about a showcase for Robert Downey Jr. being cool and having fun in like a big action setting more so than the villains. He's never really had a good set of villains. But besides that, the movie, I think the movie worked. It was entertaining. Uh, I think it's just that after the Avengers, some people's expectations were set unreasonably high. And I think Kevin Feige, I mean, I I think what his problem is is that he kind of plays us, like Shane Black kind of plays us and kind of gives us expectations for us to see things that aren't really there. I think he kind of, and he's not the only one guilty of this. I think sometimes they kind of set us up by kind of dangling the carrot for us, and we're looking for things that don't really come to fruition. So that's kind of what I think the problem with Marvel was there. But, I mean, the movie itself, it's a fun, entertaining summer ride. Marvel does a, always does a great job of kicking off the summer movie season. They've been doing that for like 10 years. All in all, it was, a, it was a good movie. But, I mean, the review since the movie came out, the newer reviews are a, a little mixed, and that's fair. You know, some people are not going to be okay with this plot twist. But what do you have to say about it, Mark? Well, I don't disagree with a whole lot of what you said there in, in terms of your opinion. I've always said, and I've said this a lot on The Long Road to Ruin and in private conversations, movies are not comic books. Movies are not books. Exactly. The, the execution of these things is very, very different. You know, Iron Man existed for decades before it ever got onto the silver screen. And then, then they have to take morsels of this long legacy of, of, uh, of the comic book and try to fit it into a two hour movie, you know, or six right. hours when you do it over three. So you're never going to have a complete translation of the comic book to the silver screen. I think what the, the best that you can hope for is that they're going to tell you an entertaining story for two hours. And that's why I don't have a problem with the Mandarin, uh, with the Mandarin twist <laughs> as they, as, um, as it's portrayed in this movie. And when you look at what the, what the object of Killian was and what his motivations were and what he was set out to do, 
it would make sense that he would want to have that he would want to play on the fears of Americans by using something as iconographic as, as something that resembles very much Osama bin Laden. So that all made sense to me. It would in and the way Bing, Ben Kingsley then plays it when he's when the jig is up. It, you're right. It was very funny. It was very entertaining. And this is the point that I wanted to make about um, the Iron Man villains as such. I always felt that Iron Man's greatest villain was Tony Stark. And now you're a big comic book guy, so I'm going to give you a chance to respond to that since that was kind of a shot. But I really do. I feel like the thing that people remember most about, about Iron Man is Tony Stark's inner demons. And while I've never – I didn't read a tremendous amount of Iron Man. I mostly read the Avengers overall, and I read Captain America and such. My experience with the, with the Iron Man comics was Tony Stark's alcoholism um, – Tony's, you know, Tony Stark just dealing with himself in, in the role. So, you know, my feeling was that that was that was one of the driving points of this movie in particular, given it's it's set after the Avengers movie. And to that extent, and this may just be the psychologist in me coming out, but I thought they played on that extremely well. And it's a thread through all of the movies is Tony Stark dealing with his inner demons. Um, I mean, that that is an important thread in the comics. You know, Tony Stark, uh, he's a weapons maker. What happens when the weapons uh, fall into the wrong hands? Um, you know, he takes a bit of a high horse saying, I'm not going to make weapons anymore. But then he starts making these uh, weaponized suits. And then what happens when these weaponized suits fall into the wrong hands? Um, uh, you know, we have so many in Civil War, we have all these superheroes now. What, you know, we have all these superheroes and they're, they're doing reality shows and they're causing trouble. I mean, do we need to regulate them? Uh, have we gone Have we gone too far? Are we not really uh, looking out for the good, the greater good, the greater public anymore? Um, the alcoholism, demon in a bottle. At the same time, um, I enjoy. I mean, I enjoy the Mandarin as a villain, and a lot of you know the more traditional, just Iron Man superhero stories. So. I, I think these movies have have always been lacking a really just a strong icon like an iconic villain uh, to to serve as a foil uh, for for Iron Man. I mean, Thor has Loki, and Loki's turned into this now. Loki's this massive pop cultural icon phenomenon, which is amazing. I think that's helped um, by the actor who's playing him. Yes, yes. So I just. Now that we have this Iron Man trilogy now, and looking at it as a trilogy, it's just kind of, I, I see it more as this showcase for Tony Stark, Robert Downey Jr. playing Tony Stark. Um, but also the unfortunate thing is, is that, you know, when Robert Downey Jr. was cast in this role, it sort of made a lot of sense. Here we have a man who, whose life sort of mirrors that of Tony Stark, um, you know, a guy, a guy who kind of went over the edge. Um, he kind of and he's redeemed himself. This is what happens with Tony Stark uh, repeatedly. Um, how far can a guy go and do all these bad, messed up things? And can he come back from that? And can we still like this guy? Can he still, can he still salvage his life? I want to get your that, reaction. Hang on. I want to get your yeah, reaction to something ahead. because because we've got some people listening to the show 
and we're not taking callers, but I do I do want to take a comment that was posted um, by someone who had some real issues with this movie. I think the Mandarin plot was a waste of the definitive arch nemesis of the titular hero due to just how differently they made the character from his updated non-xenophobic version. This plot actually was much more suited to characters like the Ghost, AIM, and by extension of AIM, MODOK. Your reaction? Uh, I, I think what this movie was missing was a cool character like Ghost. I would have loved to have seen someone like Ghost in this movie. Um, people like Savin kind of play uh, this sort of Ghost-type role. I think we could have used a character like that. I, I would have loved to have seen more of uh, more of AIM as sort of this nefarious mad science think, think tank. Uh, think tank, you know, wearing the beekeeper outfits, you know, I would have thought it would have been awesome if they considered Killian their scientist supreme. That's another sort of uh, aim reference there. Now, MODOK, I like the MODOK character. Let me just be clear on that. But that is not a character you can you can just do on film willy-nilly because he's such a bizarre looking, just a bizarre character in general. that. He's not a character that translates to film easily. Look at look at Green Lantern and what happened with Hector Hammond. It's tough to get it's tough to do a just a bizarre comic character like that on screen without it looking ridiculous and for people to actually buy into it. I, yeah, that's, that's, I mean, that's a I'm not point, saying Jeff. we can never see. Now, just let me finish. I'm not sure. saying we can never see Modoc. I'm just saying he's. A, I, I don't. I think for a movie like this, it just would have you would have lost the audience there. And look, this movie made a it just made 175 million. It's already made like over half a billion dollars worldwide. So the results speak for themselves. Well, I was gonna say you made a point at the top of the show, and it's and, and it bears repeating at this point before we move on to the next topic. And that is, these movies are not just made for comic book fans. The Batman movie movies were not made just for comic book fans. None of these right. are. These are cultural sort of phenomenon experiences that are set that are, that are set to attract the widest audience possible women and children alike so you, you right. know there's more of my wife out there who never picked up a comic book in her life and i can just you know and her reaction to I, I, and i just i think of her as somebody who is a really good example of the wider audience if you showed her ben kingsley with how that storyline played out and then just showed her a picture of modok i guarantee you she responds sort of you know in in a, uh, I, I guarantee you, she responds more uh, positively to the Ben Kingsley arc than she does a picture of Mona. Right. Um, so, let me ask you this now, sort of playing on the um, another comment that was that was made by a lot of people in your review and, and in other places, is they felt like there wasn't enough necessarily enough action, not enough of Iron Man doing stuff. It's Tony Stark doing things, not enough Iron Man fighting bad guys and not enough for the suit. And even you made a comment that the suit almost becomes, especially the Mach 42, almost becomes the butt of, of a joke, an, a running gag. And it was. I mean, I mean it, it, it's not like it, that's exactly what it was. Okay. Well, let me, let me say this to you, and I, and I want to get your reaction to it. Um, movies are – I think movies have to be about people. You know, when you start getting into every scene must be action and you always have to see the hero doing stuff, it almost ends up becoming a special effects reel, which is what you want to um, that That's the Phantom Menace. Uh, this, you know, this was about a person and a guy in a situation, and he had a hero's arc. He had stuff he had to overcome. 
a lot of it was was internal, and I really enjoyed the fact that it was a stripped down Tony. Tony having to go back to his roots. It actually mirrored the first movie very nicely, where he's got to start all over again with scraps, which is something that you pointed out in your review. Right. Uh, talk to me a little bit about that, and and sort of in response to these people who 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 I think they go into these movies just thinking it's going to be a video game, you know, scene well, after the scene of action, and that's not a movie. Right, right. Well, let's just let's just sort of clarify this. I did mention all those points in my review. This is sort of uh, Tony. You know, Tony was really built up since uh, the Avengers. You know, he's got he's the billionaire playboy. He's got all the tools and all the gadgets. He can pretty much invent his way in and out of everything. So this movie took a lot of that away from him and kind of put him back into a, a proverbial cave in Afghanistan uh, where he, you know, he, he didn't have his AI. He didn't have his mansion in his workshop. Um, he didn't have his sort of vast unlimited resources. Now it was done in, in a sort of a very, in a certain window of time where I thought it was believable. And in the movie, I liked seeing Tony sort of, he has to get by on his wits and what little he actually does have. That, I think, worked really well. But at the same time, it's a double-edged sword because, you know, he is Iron Man, and he, we do have all these cool new suits that I want to see and enjoy and see, how, see all the, the new devices they have, see all their uh, gadgets and weaponry. Now, that's fine. What they did, I think, was fine, and I think worked out well in just trying to show that Tony is more than just the armor. However, my ultimate problem is is that Tony has sort of an inferiority complex now where, like, I'm, I'm playing with these gods and monsters. I'm just a guy in a tin can. Okay, that, that arc was done well. But also there's this, notion that he has PTSD. He kind of he kind of looked into the abyss. What does that do to a what does that do to a, do to a person? Now you felt like that, that wasn't that, that wasn't was handled not, as fully well as it could have been. Exactly. That that was another thing I think that might have been too much for this movie because the way it started, the way it set up to me was perfect. And I thought wow, this is interesting. What is can Tony it's not as good as dealing with the alcoholism which we're never going to see as long as, you know, Marvel is at Disney, but it, it was an, to me it was an interesting consolation prize. What happens when you look into the abyss and you go that far? Are these dreams Tony's having, are they really just panic attacks? Is this Thanos sending a message to Tony, hey, I'm coming after you guys. I'm coming to Earth and I'm going to make you guys my toys. Well, I don't, I don't know. Want, I, would, well, I, I would have liked to see some, I would have liked to see more of that. And the way they solved that problem to me was not was not emotionally fulfilling and it was not satisfying. I think it's it's tough, Jeff. Because um, again, as a person whose profession is in the realm of psychology, I felt like it was just enough to keep the movie light and entertaining. But this is not. Oh God, what was the television show that was about rehab? Um, okay, well it's not that show. You know, it's and the it, one with uh, what's it with Benjamin? Son, yeah, I think it was on HBO. Um, doesn't matter. Anyway, it, it ain't that. You know, I think you you have to you have to develop this balance, and and not every director, not every writer does a great job of this. But I actually think this movie pulled it off well. And yes, this is not, 
Thank you very much. That, that would have bugged me all night. Yeah, this is not in treatment. Um, you have okay. to you have to keep it light enough so that people remember they're at a fun popcorn eating movie while giving it some emotional heft so that it isn't the Phantom Menace. Um, And I felt like this movie hit the nice in between very well. And I would tell you that I think it did a better job of that than any of the Nolan movies did. Um, And I'm not by any way complaining about the Nolan Batmans at all. I love them. But uh, just to give you an example, again, uh, using my wife here as sort of the model, my wife loved all three of the Iron Man movies. Uh-huh. Hid in my armpit during the Dark Knight and refused to go see the Dark Knight Rises. Right, they were right. they they leaned too far to one side, um, and then again, if you go far to the other side, you get the Fantastic Four movies, which everyone hates because right. they're too kiddie. Um, go ahead. You know, with with Batman, we just have you know Batman just has always had the most classic and iconic villains. You know, you can you can write entire stories about you know, the villains in Batman's rogues gallery. And uh, Bane, uh, Bane in his purest essence is a great character. Nolan kind of gave his own take on the Bane character. He kind of took away the whole, okay, I use, I used a special formula to grow huge muscles and all that. But he kind of kept that sort of, you know, this intellect, where I'm going to systematically break Batman down. I'm going. I'm going to, you know, break him spiritually and physically. I'm going to do that. And then you had Cat. I mean, you had Catwoman. You had Anne Hathaway doing basically a traditional uh, version of Catwoman. And then you had Heath Ledger, uh, Joker Unleashed. So uh, that's kind of the benefit that Batman has. He has the villains are more interesting than Batman. Oh, absolutely. That's the same thing in Superman, I think. Whereas this movie, the whole thing rests on Robert Downey Jr.'s shoulders, which is the next point I wanted to get to. Let's talk about Gwyneth Paltrow and Don Cheadle. Um, One of my father's pet pet peeves with women in movies, especially action movies, is he very much detests the do-nothing damsel in distress. Um, He likes likes women in the action movies who actually do something that um, that are heroes in their own right. Uh, the fish, I mean, they make great fish out of water characters. Um, right. I, and I actually think that by the time we get to this one, they almost get the Pepper Potts character. They, they, almost, they almost do her justice, in my opinion. Um, I thought the, I was kind of hoping we'd see her, because I, I know that there were rumors that you get to see Gwyneth Paltrow in the armor. I thought they were going to do the, I thought they were going to do the rescue bit right. um, more and not necessarily just use the armor as a big shield. Um, but I want to get your reaction to that you, first with with her and then Cheadle. Um, do you feel like she, she, they gave her enough to do where she was not a do nothing but a heroine in her own right? Uh, yes, I was. I was very happy with what we saw from Gwyneth Paltrow in this movie. Uh, I know. I I don't know why uh, Paltrow has such this polarizing personality right now, and why why she's like being hit, voted as most hated celebrity. Um, a lot of uh, the kind of pepper breaking out material in this movie came from Robert Downey Jr., who's a huge, I mean, he's clearly like a, a total fanboy for Gwyneth Paltrow. He was also one of the guys who got her into Avengers, which I think totally enhances that movie and makes, for me, it made Avengers having her there just that much more better and sort of raise the stakes to kind of have, okay, t- you know, we're seeing Tony in a stable relationship. He's got 
you know, a nice girlfriend now. He's not, you know, he's he's being more responsible. I like that. In this movie, I love seeing Pepper kind of break out and kind of just stop being the damsel in distress and kind of saving the day. I think that's great. And I think anyone that has a problem with that really, I'm not going to call you sexist, but, you know, I think you kind of, maybe, well, maybe you are. But um, I would have, I don't think we should have seen Rescue in this movie. I think this movie did a good job of hinting at that. Um, If they did make um, her into Rescue in, in some other movie, I think that would be totally great. I, I wouldn't be opposed to seeing that because I think when is Paltrow finally kind of stops sit, you know, at the, by the end, she's no longer on the sidelines and she finally, finally kind of like takes control. And I really dug it. She was like, she was cooler than Tony at the end in some respects. Another comment from the peanut gallery here. There's a comment regarding Paltrow looking disinterested every time she's in a scene that doesn't involve romance with her and Robert Downey Jr. Now, my reaction to that is that she may have been very, very comfortable in the more intimate person-to-person scenes with Robert Downey Jr., where I think she does a fine job of acting. But if this person was picking up on disinterest in some of the action scenes, to me, that's a failure of direction, not, not, a, problem with the, not a problem with the actor. This is actually an argument that I got into with a friend of mine over green screen and such, you know, where um, you know, actors on the set of Star Wars were – um, the new Star Wars movies were complaining that they they can't act with props and, and green screen, and I said that's not the that's not the actor's fault. That's Lucas's fault. So um, I don't know. Did you pick that up about Paltrow? And would you agree that when you're you're dealing with a special effects movie like this one, and you have to have the actors sort of reacting to what's going to be done in post, essentially on a computer? that the director really then has to step in and make sure he's getting the appropriate reactions from his actors, and you can't really lay that at Paltrow's feet. I didn't really get that sense from this movie. I think my only problem is that sometimes the comedy was poorly timed and poorly executed. While the comedy is funny, like, it, it kind of, it's deflating at some points. Like, like, there was a scene where Maya Hansen comes to their house, and nothing really happens. Like, I want to know, okay, Maya, you're here. Why are you here? Why are we all joking about the stupid bunny with huge knockers before, you know, things start blowing Things start blowing up? To me, that scene was, that was a little poorly executed, and it was a bit of a waste of time. Maya Hansen, to me, was the only character that kind of bothered me and I think was kind of a pointless character that could have really been cut from the movie uh, completely. So Gwyneth Paltrow's acting didn't really bother me in the movie so much as Rebecca Hall as Maya Hansen. You know, I, I see what you're saying about that scene, and I felt like, I, you know, it's a juggling act, isn't it? It goes back to what I was saying before, is you have to have balance in a movie. And they needed to... The stuff with... The subplot there with, with Paltrow and Robert Downey Jr. is, you know, is there this relationship that's under duress because Tony is dealing with psychological issues. Um, they're, they're, they're taking on different roles in, in the greater universe, and that's creating tension, which was fine. It's hard to balance that with a guy running around in a suit of armor shooting, you know, shooting terrorists. So I, I, think, they, I think they tried. I mean, the, whole, the scene was there to sort of play on the fact that he's a sort of reformed playboy 
and this is still a bone of contention with with Gwyneth Paltrow. Though I am reminded of something I saw the other day, uh, sort of off topic here, but I I saw sort of a funny trailer for uh, Iron Man two, and one of the lines in it was it was like like the real Iron Man two trailer, and it was like Gwyneth Paltrow doesn't have a problem with her boyfriend wearing the Iron Man suit, but freaks out when he drives a car, and they flash to him and you know in the uh, the Monaco scene, which is which was a funny editorial comment about Iron Man 2, which I think they corrected with this one. She seems more, she seems more accepting of the fact that he goes headfirst into danger, but the problem she's having with him is his coping mechanism is dragging him further and further away from her, you know, by, by virtue of him constantly creating all of these suits of armor. Um, you can react to I, that. And I thought all Go that was good. I like, uh, the scene where where he's where they're at home, you know, he admits he admits he's having problems. They go to sleep, and then the armor uh, kind of attacks her at night, and and then she's like, you know, fiddle like tinker with that." I thought that was a great scene. No, I I think it is too. I said I liked a lot of the uh, the chemistry between the two of them and the tension. You know, I I think people have to remember part of the story structure of a movie is the is the the hero has to get over stuff. What do you think, Lily? What do you think the hero and the heroine should do in a movie? They should play, absolutely. Uh, they should play and beat up Omega. Exactly. I, that, that's a, they should have done like a Batman and Robin. <laughs> they should have done like a Batman and Robin thing. It just had a War Machine, Iron Man, and Rescue all running at the camera at the same time. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but speaking of the Iron Patriot, a.k.a. Uh, Don Machine, you know, here's a character who I feel got ripped off, you know, and and I actually want to have a long kind of a long conversation about Cheadle here because I got a couple of things brewing about about what they're going to do with this guy. But I feel like this movie, they had him in there because they needed him to do a couple of things with the plot. But ultimately, I felt like if there's a do nothing character in this movie, it was him. I feel like he got ripped off and they really didn't use Cheadle and the Iron Patriot suit to its full advantage. Uh, I agree with that. Don Cheadle did not have much to do. Iron Patriot did not have much to do in this movie. I love the imagery that they worked the Iron Patriot armor into this movie. I thought that was a great idea, but Don Cheadle actually does very little in the movie overall, either as Rhodey or as, Iron Patriot. Um, I think there was a lost opportunity when you had War Machine in the last movie where he says, okay, I'm just going to take your suit. Okay, so now a guy in the Air Force, now the government has Tony's suit. In the movie, neither Iron Man 2 or Iron Man 3 really deals with that. Um, And to me, that's a little problematic because the whole contention in Iron Man 2 is, um, you want the suits, uh, you can't have them. I'm keeping them. I know what's, I know what to do best with these suits. Uh, you don't get to share my technology or turn them into a weapon. Okay, your best friend has a suit now, and he's turned it over to the government. Okay, well, as long as only you have the suit, I trust you, and that's okay, and I will let you have it. I think that did not come into play enough, and that's kind of um, – that that was kind of my misgiving with Iron Man 2 was, okay, so that just happened and we're just not going to talk about that? 
Um, and I think that stuff you can't really just leave to tell in prequel comic books that no one reads. Yeah, I, I'm actually wondering why there wasn't a meeting of the minds on how to play off of that. It was just, as you said, it was just sort of summarily dropped. And then they had Don Cheadle in the movie to have Don Cheadle in the movie. And I don't know right. enough about, I know more about U.S. Agent than I know about Iron Patriot. So I couldn't tell you what he means to the to the Iron Man universe. Like, I remember War Machine. Um, and I also know that, and this sort of leads to my next point, I also know that for a while, Rhodey, was Iron Man for a stretch when, when Tony Stark was incapacitated due to alcoholism. Now, let me ask you this, Jeff. Go ahead. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. was signed on to do another Avengers movie. That may mean, you know, one more movie for him. It may mean several more movies down the road. But it looks like the Iron Man trilogy in and of itself is done. And after the Avengers 2, when they go on to do Avengers 3, 4, and 5, do you think that they'll um, just allow... Robert Downey Jr. to distance himself from the Marvel Universe and allow Don Cheadle to just pick up the mantle. Let him be Iron Man while they bring in some other new characters as leads, and he's you know he's in, still in a supporting role, but at least they get to have the Iron Man character. Um, that could be one way they go about it. Currently, Robert Downey Jr. is not signed on for any other movies. Um, he's reportedly renegotiating, so. At $678 million worldwide right now and climbing, I, I find it very hard to believe he and Disney will not uh, come to an agreement for Avengers 2. Um, beyond that, I, I think the ball's really just in Marvel's court in figuring this out. I think because all those things you mentioned have precedence, you could go a number of ways, maybe the way the way this movie went, maybe Tony's going to decide to just fade into the background. Maybe Tony will retire. Maybe he will hand things over uh, to Rhodey. Maybe Rhodey will be War Machine. Maybe he'll be Iron Man. They could do that. Um, um, or they could just quietly recast uh, the role of Tony Stark. I mean, well, it won't be quiet, but they could do that, and Marvel's done it before. And uh, it's destined to happen at some point. The, these these characters have been around forever. There are many interpretations of the character. Of course, Robert Downey Jr. laid the groundwork, and it's very hard to envision anyone else playing this role. But that's not to say no one else can ever play this role ever again. Someone will. Someone else is going to play Tony Stark at some point. It is inevitable. You know, um, let me take a uh, let me. Let me contend that for just a moment. I actually don't think they should try to recast the role. I would be more comfortable with them just letting Don Cheadle be Iron Man. And the only way I would bring Robert Downey Jr. back is if they're going if they're going to do a major Marvel epic like Civil War. And Civil War would be incredibly hard to pull off on screen. They and they they would definitely have to rework that in a way. But but hang on, hang on a second. But Unless they're going to give Robert Downey Jr. something big, something really, really huge to dig his heels into as an actor, because just side thing, actors need new challenges, and I and I think what happens is with with a lot of these movies, these comic book type, these epics, uh, blockbusters, is that is that actors don't want to be forever seen as that one character. And now Robert now Downey Jr. has this you know large filmography to go back to, so I don't think 
he'd have a huge problem with that. But, you know, this is about – but again, this is about a guy here and a guy who wants to be challenged as an actor. And for him, I can only imagine, you know, he's thinking, I've done my bit for Gone Country. I did this thing. I've got my legacy. I want to go do something else now. I want to do the pickup artist too. Who the hell knows? But my, my point being that if I'm Disney and Marvel and, I, and I'm Robert Downey Jr., I'm thinking the only reason to bring him back is to do something, and maybe not Civil War itself, but something like that. Go ahead. Uh, I, don't think, I don't think it's that drastic. He got paid – uh, when all was said and done, he got paid apparently $50 million for Avengers 2. Maybe, maybe there's going to be 100 million reasons why he'll want to come back for Avengers 2. Um, Civil War is not a story you can just do in a, in a sequel. You can't just – there's no way that could happen in Avengers 2. And now, that's got to be a Phase 4 movie. If, if ever. And if you did – ever did Civil War, it would have to be drastically, and I mean drastically different from how it was uh, um, executed in the comics. And the rules might have to be reversed. Just like this movie was sort of a variation on on a a comic story called Extremis, it was very different uh, from Extremis. It used some, some of the same characters and a couple similar plot points, but other than that, it was night and day different from uh, extremists. So you can maybe take some elements of Civil War, but even to me, and I'm not trying to be a jerk here, but Civil War was sort of a stupid, absurd story. I I, I don't want to say stupid, but it was absurd. You really didn't like it? I love Civil War. I thought it was a great idea. I think think to me Civil War was a gimmick, and I don't want to see just a gimmick story get done because as a longtime fan, there are a lot more classic stories and better stories than Civil War that we should see first. Yeah, no, well, we're not going to get the Secret Wars either. <laughs> just, uh, just saying. Secret Wars, but something such as um, the Masters of Evil. Uh, that I mean, that would be something. That that's a great uh, classic. Basically, the anti Avengers. Um, you don't have to call them the Masters of Evil, but a Masters of Evil uh, like group. Um, Thanos is a gigantic threat uh, for them to deal with. So there's that. Right, but um, I think that they're doing that in the Avengers 2, it looks like. so, And I, and I suspect he'll be back for the Avengers 2, but post-Avengers 2 is really what I was referring to. In the interest, in the Avengers 2, it's hard, it's hard to... Sure. Yeah, it's hard to see how much longer he'll keep doing this. He's 48 years old. He's 48 years old now. But hey, he was on the Daily Show and saying, hey, I'm looking at the back nine. So take that for what it's worth. Sure. Um, just uh, in the interest of time, I want to ask you, I want to spend a little bit of time on the conclusion. Now, again, I want to make sure that people listening to this podcast are clear. I liked Iron Man 3. Thought it was a perfectly, you didn't see it. You don't have an opinion. One second, (laughs) Lily. Um, you were, you were at the theme park with your grandparents. Um, I like this movie. And so I want, I don't want people to hear this and go, oh, Jesus, Radulich is bitching. No, Radulich is quibbling, not bitching. I was not particularly enthused by the ending. I think as a standalone trilogy, uh, this sort of bucks the trend of the last movie being the absolute worst. You know, the Iron Man's go great, not so great. We're back to great again. So, like I said, by no means am I saying that this was bad. And as a standalone trilogy, the ending tied things up a little too neatly for my taste, but at least I can accept that. The problem is if, as a trilogy in a greater Marvel universe, 
I was really annoyed by how it ended. One, you know, you have, he cures Pepper Potts in a sentence. You know, there's, there was, it was whatever tension there was built up by her being in, in, in dire circumstances with the, with, okay, Lily, give me 10 more minutes. Um, um, there was, they built up all this tension with, with all, they had built up all this tension with her being in danger with the extremists and then poof, it was gone. And then of course, and I don't know, and this is what I wanted to ask you, you being the bigger Marvel file than I am. Did he ever actually get the shrapnel out of his chest? And I know that's a minor quibble here, but it still annoyed the living piss out of me because I don't think that ever actually happened. Um, it, it, we're talking about – it gets very muddled. Uh, I forget exactly when – I think at, at some point um, his heart was repaired, and then he gets all these different problems that causes him to wear an arc reactor again. Um now, just to be specific, at one point there was a time where a super a time traveling supervillain called Kang sort of uh made Iron Man his his underling where Iron Man was Kang's servant the whole time. So then what did they do? They went back in time and got nineteen year old Tony Stark without any physical ailments to be Iron Man. So now you have this teenage Tony Stark running around as Iron Man and then all the heroes died and heroes were born from onslaught. And then in a new universe, Tony's an adult again, and then they bring him out of that universe, and he's 100% healthy. He's still a recovering alcoholic, uh, but he doesn't have um, – That's why we get made fun of for being comic book geeks, Jeff. That whole... Exactly. But, I mean, this is kind of the problem with comics is that when you have 50 years of history, there's all sorts of crazy crap that happens. That I'm going through this now with the Hulk where I'm trying to get, you know, just thinking about, and I don't want to get off on that with this podcast. We have plenty of time for that in a future one, but I'm just thinking about the Hulk and ways that they get it. And I'm going back and I'm reading through all of this history and I'm like, Jesus Christ, there's a bit where Banner is, is the insane one and Hulk's the sane one. And I'm like, oh my God, this is why I stopped reading comics in the first place. So I, yeah, I totally get your point. You see, the thing is, because this is a, these are serialized characters, and they're in just in this per, you know perpetual state of serialization that is constantly going back and forth. All these really crazy things happen where it goes totally, it goes in one direction and then it goes in the complete opposite direction. So now Tony, I think what he has is he has armor that literally comes out of his body, basically as sort of a variation of the extremist virus, something something like that. I don't think he has the shrapnel in his heart anymore. At one point, like, he had a heart attack and his heart nearly went out. So uh, okay, but my, his but my, armor my, my put point in is, back. Chaps. But that's my, that's my point it's is, crazy crap in the, right, and, and in the first movie, you know, the, this condition is so bad, he has to wear a power plant inside of his chest. And by the third movie, he goes to a surgeon. He goes to John Hopkins and, get, and gets it done. We're like, wait a minute. Why didn't you do that when you got back to America? You know, I mean, at the very least, that could have been the ending of the first Iron Man. You know, I just, to, to, I think if the, if the story they're trying to tell is by the end of this, you know, yes, he could have done that all along. But before he felt compelled to be a superhero, now long, he no longer feels that compulsion. Maybe, it, it, maybe it was a, it was a rocky path to get me there. And it's not a strong enough path to make me believe that that's true. From my perspective, that was something that always could have been done. He was just using it, but he was using his his sort of physical 
infirmity, as it were, as a crutch. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is my excuse to continue being Iron Man. Now he, now he apparently doesn't have that dilemma anymore. That's the way I saw it. Sure, and and I think my problem is, I think you telling that to me. If you were saying let's write the script and that be the conclusion, I'm willing to buy that and accept it. What I saw on screen wasn't strong enough to get me there. I, I think that's that. You know, I think that's a reasonable argument. At the same time, movies, these movies, they're a variation of the comics, and they kind of. I don't want to say dumbed down, but they streamline it. They they more or less. Yeah, but even as a movie, though, Jeff, that, that you know, right. it was it's the old. We're running out of time. Quick, end the fucking movie. You know what I mean? It's, <laughs> so. it's a, it, it, it again. I, I agree. I, I agree with the argument, but for the movie, it did not hurt the movie. For it did not hurt the experience. Yeah, overall. it was. It was more of you know that that was more of a gas pain, not a, not not a, not a major heart attack for me. You know what yeah, I mean? But, I mean, just as a fan, as a fan, I can nitpick these things to death and all. Sure. Okay, they could have done it. They could have done it better this way. They could have done it better that way. But to me, they get a lot more right than they do wrong. I know the Mandarin is going to be a big sticking point on a lot of people. And I know some casual fans were just upset because, hey, we wanted to see uh, Ben Kingsley being this cool, badass, like, like a mashup of Osama bin Laden in the Mandarin that looked pretty cool. And I think that's, that's a reasonable argument as well. I can totally see where people are coming from there. Um, but I'm just so, as a fan, I'm just so excited to finally just be seeing all this sort of come to life on screen. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I've enjoyed the Marvel Universe um, since Disney took it over. Uh, I've enjoyed all three of the Iron Man movies. I liked Thor. I mean, a lot of people crapped on Thor, and I was like, well, I mean, come on. They were trying to get to the Avengers. So that whole slew of movies was, you know, could have been better, but they had a bigger, they they had a huge outcome in mind that they were trying to get to. So I can forgive them for kind of writing prologue movies instead of movie movies. Um, I'm very much looking forward to a, the Dark World. That looks phenomenal. I'm looking forward to G- to UFC uh, 170 GSP versus Captain America. That looks fantastic. Um, <laughs> like five people listening to the podcast get, get that joke. Um, you know, and I, and I'm looking forward to uh, Ant Man and the next Avengers movie. I mean, so far since Disney's been doing this, uh, Disney's been doing these Marvel movies. I've I've enjoyed them. I don't really think they've made a bad one. That's why when people start talking about Star Wars. You know, and Disney doing Star Wars and being fretful over that. I'm like, well, you know, they've got a pretty good track record here. I don't know what there is to be all upset about. Um, last question for you, and then we're going to start to close out here. If you would, you know, if Jeffrey Harris had been directing this movie and uh, this was sort of your vehicle, anything that you would have done differently? What would have, what would you have done? That, what would you have liked to have seen happen? My biggest point of contention with this film is the PTSD and the way it was resolved uh, in this film because I was so I was so intrigued by the way that subplot was set up. I I would have I would have had something happen where the PTSD is more than just panic attacks. It's actually a harbinger of something more sinister. And you know maybe is Tony just. Or did Tony see something? When Tony went to the other side, did Tony see something? You know, and that, you know, 
kind of like Lovecraft, you know? The, you know, is he going insane or is there something really horrible, terrible company? You know, foreshadowing. Doctor sure. Who does it a lot. There's a lot. You, you know, usually when these things happen on Doctor Who, it's it's kind of a symbol of something worse coming along. Like, are they? Is, is he just nuts? Or, uh, is he just seeing things, or is something wicked on its way? That is what I pro- probably uh, would have done. Would have done differently. All the other things are really just kind of nitpicky things I have about it. Well, I wanted to see more cool armor stuff, but this movie was about sort of challenging Tony again and taking taking his armor away from him and making him. Can he deal with things without the armor? So that's kind of it. Okay, one point that I wanted to make before we closed out was I thought this did a better job of making Tony a detective than any of the Batman movies ever did when Batman was actually a detective. (laughs) I was really fascinated by Tony's ability to, you know, figure out a mystery um, and and get to the bottom of things and not just run around in a big suit blowing stuff up. Like like a high tech Hulk, um, that was uh, one of the major I, points to me about the movie that I really enjoyed. I agree, and that's and that's always been a, a problem I've had with uh, the Nolan films is that Batman is less of a a scientist than a detective in the movies. There was that one really good scene with Bruce Wayne um, in the Batcave in The Dark Knight Rises. Uh, there were a couple scenes like that in The Dark Knight, but to me, the, it, it wasn't. It was just sort of Nolan's take on the character, and Batman was a bit of a, a less interesting character as a result. We don't get the world's greatest detective in Nolan's movies, but that's not really what Nolan is going for, you know? No, you got you got that more with Iron Man, and I don't know if he was necessarily like that in the comic book, but it was I, – I think you have to kind of go into the a lot of these Marvel movies with an open mind, Um you know, maybe even a blank slate, and just what do you, show me, show me what there is to show me, and either you like it or you don't. So, uh, like I said, I uh, you gave it, I think, a seven or an eight. No, it was like an eight and a half, right? Was your review your uh, score? My score was uh, eight, eight and a half. Right. Yeah, I would, I would I go along I with did, that. Now, I, I'm going to be honest. I think I did probably overrate Iron Man two when it came out. I think I did review Iron Man two. I stand by my review and rating of the Avengers. I did, I, I mean, I think when I first saw Iron Man 2, I was just so say, oh, we're Iron Man, Tony Stark. And I think Iron Man does get a little unfairly maligned. Um, it, it is flawed. I don't think it's a terrible movie. Um, but None of them were I mean, terrible, I, but it's the weakest of the I three. think sometimes over time we, our tastes adjust and we kind of, our views change. And I don't think that's wrong. Okay, the next uh, summer blockbuster series movie that we're going to review will be Star Trek Into Darkness. So uh, that'll be in two weeks. There was no MMA show this past Sunday for a variety of reasons, not the least of which was there was nothing to talk about, including Chael Sonnen's Delusions of Grandeur. Um, this tomorrow night, Long Road to Ruin uh, resumes. Uh, we'll be doing the Dollars Trilogy. And uh, a week from tomorrow, the 401 Music Review Podcast will be back. We'll be doing the new Fin Troll album. So that's what I got going on. Jeff, what do you got going on? I love on? it when, when it's like a slow MMA news week and, and we just get something. Chael Sonnen wants to buy the, 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 the WWE. Okay, let's run with that, MMA media. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm, 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 I just, I had to ignore that just due to the absurdity, but it did make me laugh a little bit that that became the big headline. Yeah, I know. But, you know, slow news week, what are you going to do? Indeed. Um, what do you re- now? What's next for you to review? What do you got going on? Uh, right now I'm working on you know another uh, uh, comic book uh, superhero thing. I got Superman Unbound on Blu-ray, so I'll be reviewing the Blu-ray of that. Um, hope hopefully going to you know once I, I have a couple other writing assignments, so hopefully going to get in uh, the Star Trek the video game review, sort of the bridge between the first and second movie. Um, and uh, a couple of, uh, a couple other things, MMA's three R's is this week, so uh, be sure to look at that. Um, still thinking, you know, uh, Ben Folks wrote a really weird column this week about women's MMA. I might have to take a look at that. We'll see. All right. Uh, so that's that. Uh, again, uh, Long Road to Ruin Tuesday. The MMA uh, 401 Ground and Pound Radio Show will be back Sunday night at 9 o'clock to preview Belfort versus Luke Rockhold. UFC on FX8. Uh, For the 401 Jack of All Trades, Jeff Harris, this has been the 411 Movie Zone Summer Blockbuster Series. Uh, I thought this was a hell of a podcast. Can't wait to do the next one in two weeks. Mark, thank you very much for having me on. 411 readers and listeners, peace, live long, and prosper. All right. All right, folks, we'll see you again uh, tomorrow night. Have a great great day. Bye. Bye.